Well, we're starting a new series this uh, morning called Being Neighborly, okay? And uh, last year, during our prayer walks, we had created this invitation called A Neighborly Invitation. And so we have some of these on the welcome desk outside. And so I want to encourage you and welcome you to pick up some of these and be neighborly, right? To the people in your community, to the people that are surrounding you, it'll be a great opportunity for you to be able to connect uh, with some of your neighbors and to be able to pray, pray with them. Let me tell you the story of a little boy named Moses. That's him in the yellow shirt that's there. It was a, a cool day in, in Kenya, um, and Moses' mother, this is a, a, a story from Compassion uh, International, and Moses' mother was given uh, a package of food uh, with sugar and flour, oil, beans, rice, tea, and uh, all sorts of things, and a box of biscuits, okay? And so they were really thankful because they were struggling even just for one meal. But when Moses saw uh, the other children that were around him, his heart was moved with compassion. So what did Moses do? Without thinking, he took the package of biscuits. And as you see him there, what is he doing? He's sharing his biscuits. He's passing it out to the other children around there. And he, was, he started giving them out to his neighbors without even having a second thought of the need for his, him and his own family as well. And so... Being neighborly is being moved with compassion. And we're going to talk about a few things uh, regarding being uh, neighborly this morning, primarily from the story that Michael read uh, from Luke chapter 10 that talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, this parable of the Good Samaritan is found only in the Gospel of Luke. It's not found in any of the other Gospels, but it's a very moving and impactful story. And basically what happens is that a teacher of the law, an expert in the law, he comes to Jesus and he asks this question, Master, what should I do that I can inherit eternal life? Do you remember any other time in the Bible when somebody else asked Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? There was another person that did that. He was known as the rich young ruler. And the conclusion of that story, Jesus told him to do what? Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. This guy got a little bit of a different answer, right? So he asked Jesus, he asked Jesus what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns the question back on him and says, well, what do you think? Right? I love it when Jesus does that, right? Turns the question back on the guy and says, what do you think? And then he says, well, love God and love your neighbors. Those are the two big commandments. And so Jesus says, yeah, you got it. You're on the right track. Keep going. You'll get there. Right, And so then uh, he, the Bible says he tries to justify himself. He tries to sort of give a smart aleck response to Jesus and says, okay, that's good, Jesus, but who actually is my neighbor? And so then Jesus goes and he tells this whole story about the Good Samaritan, which we'll look into a little bit and as we read this morning. And so you can see here, it says here, the man answered, you must love, this was the response initially, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? These two big commandments. And actually, what we're going to look at this morning as we talk about being neighborly and as we talk about the story of the Good Samaritan, what I want you to do is always go back to these two things, because it's impossible to be neighborly if you don't love God and love your neighbor, it's impossible to actually fulfill this parable of the Good Samaritan without 
fulfilling these two commandments. So I want to look at three lessons from this parable this morning as we seek to be neighborly, particularly in these days and weeks and months ahead. The weather is beautiful. Isn't that amazing? Right? It's a great opportunity and a great time to connect with your neighbors. It's a great opportunity and a great time to be able to reach out to those that are in need. Now, let me give you a disclaimer right at the beginning. I'm going to tell, and I'm telling you this in all honesty and in all sincerity. Daniel is terrible at being neighborly, right? I'm just telling you honestly. If any of my neighbors are watching this, I'm sorry ahead of time. I, I'm, I'm, uh, this, it's the truth. So really and truly, I'm preaching to myself this morning. You guys can listen in, and hopefully there'll be a few things that you can learn from this. But honestly, this is one of the most convicting messages. It's one of the most uh, things that even as I was preparing and praying for, if you don't believe me, ask Laura. She'll tell you how terrible a neighbor I am, and she'll probably give you lots of good examples of why Daniel is a terrible neighbor. So I'm hoping that if, if, if God can help me, then... I think he can help all of us, right? So let's look at a few lessons here. Number one, being neighborly is not an attitude, but it's an action, okay? Being neighborly is not an attitude, but it's an action. We can have all of the, the, the best attitude, the best intentions, the best motives, but being neighborly is not about good intentions, good motives, good desires, and all of those things. It's about action, Daniel, right? It's not about just saying, oh, this is a good thing to do. I would love to be able to do this. I like to do this, right? But it's about actually doing it. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 21 about, two, about a man that had two sons, right? And he told the two sons, go out in the field and work in the field. One son said, okay, dad, I'm going, and didn't go. The other son said, Dad, I'm not going. I'm too tired. You know, I can't go out. But then eventually he actually went. And Jesus asked the question, which of these two sons actually did the will of their father or obeyed their father? And the response was, the person that actually went. We can say all we want with our mouth and with our heart and mind and saying, I would love to do this or this would be a great thing to do. But unless we actually do it, being neighborly is the action. The difference in the story here, okay, I'm, Michael read the story first, so we're not going to read all of the verses, but a man was, was beaten and robbed on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was left on the side of the street. A Levite comes by, right, sees the man, and what happens? Goes around, right? Daniel, the priest, comes by, <laughs> sees the guy, goes around, right, passes him by, and then a Samaritan comes by, sees the man, and what does he do? He helps him. The difference between the Levite and the priest, Daniel, and the Samaritan was that the Levite and the priest probably had lots of good intentions and lots of good motives. Saying, we're serving God. We're doing this. We're doing that. Right? Lots of good intentions and motives. But the Samaritan was the one that actually did something. Being neighborly is about doing something. James says it this way in James chapter 2 and verse 18. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, right? Some people can say, well, you know, I'm a Christ follower. 
And the other person might say, well, look at my deeds. But he, what, look at what James says. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Let your faith be lived out. Let your faith be on display. Let your faith be shown by the actual deeds that you do. If there are no good deeds that accompany your faith, then there's a question, do you really have faith? In Hebrews, it says it this way, chapter 13, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. The Levite and the priest, they they didn't want to cross over to the other side. They didn't want to help the man. They stayed far away. Why? Because crossing the street and going to the other side takes time. It takes time away from our busy schedule and busy lives that we all live. It takes time away from all the other things that we're going to do. When we have to pause and say, hold on, I'm going to help this person. I'm going to do something for this person. It causes us to step back. The tangible action of love is so important. God could have stayed up in heaven and said, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh, I, lo- I really love you. I really, really love you. Really? Yeah, I'm going to do something about that. Here's Jesus. The tangible personification of love displayed in Jesus as he died on the cross for us. That's the difference in Christianity and in so many other major world, world religions is that God came down and demonstrated his love as an action. He came down. He didn't just stay up from heaven and say, hello, guys, I love you. I'm a, I'll wait for you over here. Come over here. When you get here, I'll show you how much I love you. No, no, no. He was that Samaritan that crossed the road. He was that Samaritan that went to the other side. What, what is the action as, the, as a good neighbor. Here, look at a few things that the Samaritan did. It says he was going over to him. He, he stopped what he was doing. He took time out of his schedule, out of his life, to do something for him. He made space for that man. And oftentimes, we don't, we don't have that opportunity. It says he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. There's, there's so many hurt people. There's so many people that are hurting, emotionally, spiritually, even physically, This Samaritan took time to soothe that person's wounds. He took him to an inn where he took care of him. He went the extra mile. He could have just helped him and said, oh, I'm going to call an ambulance. I'm going to call somebody else, you know, and they'll take care of him. He went the extra mile. He put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn, and took care of him. Now, that's going really out of your way. That's really putting a pause on your own schedule, a pause on your own life, a pause on everything that you're doing to take care of this man. And then on top of that, he handed the innkeeper what? Two silver coins. Historians say there's probably maybe two to three weeks worth of wages there. He was giving generously to take care of this man. He didn't have to do that. He could have just taken the man to the inn, paid him for that day, and said, okay, that's it. That's the end of it. But he went the extra mile and the extra mile and the extra mile after that. Right? This is far, we look at this and say, man, this is a little bit too much. Really, that's what being neighborly is? Really, that's what we have to do? Come on, can't I just say a few nice words? Can't I just help a little bit? What if Jesus said that for us? 
can't I just do a little bit for them? Why do I got to, oh, they're praying again? I got to bless them again? Oh, I got to help them out again? Does Jesus say that for us? No. The priest and the Levite, they didn't want to touch that man. They wanted to stay completely clear. Now, you know, scholars think that one of the reasons could be because of, uh, you know, cleansing rites and they didn't want to defile themselves with a dead body and different things like that. Our vision here at Unionville Alliance Church is to touch our world through Jesus one life at a time. The Levite didn't want to touch him. The priest didn't want to touch him. But the Samaritan, he said, yes, I'll touch him. I'll carry him. I'll take him up in my arms. I'll put him in my own, on my own donkey. I'll take him to the end. I'll care for him. I'll soothe his wounds with oil and wine. I will pour into him. I will love him. I will bless him. I will touch this man that nobody wants to touch. He did it without expecting anything back. What are the ways that we can be investing into our neighbors in these days? Now, now who is our neighbor? It could be the, the people that are physically living around us where our house is, but it also can speak of maybe our coworkers and our friends and people that we have some type of connection with and relationship with. How are we investing into those people? Ephesians says it this way, we, for we are God's masterpiece. Do you know you're God's masterpiece? Right? Maybe your wife doesn't think so. Maybe your husband doesn't think so. Maybe your kids don't think so. Well, go to the truth of the word of God. It says it right here. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He's created good works for us. He's put situations and circumstances and opportunities along our way so that we can love our neighbors. The second great commandment. The first great commandment is to love God, and the second great commandment is to love others. Let's be neighborly in these days. Number two, being neighborly requires us to step out of our comfort zone, right? What stops us from being neighborly? Insecurity, fear, selfishness, pride, maybe our own hurts from previous experiences, There's so many things that can prevent us from stepping out of our comfort zone, stepping out of what we are comfortable in doing. Now, for introverts, this can be really difficult as well, speaking as an introvert here, right? This can be really difficult to step out of yourself and reach out to somebody that you don't know. Step out of your comfort zone. It could be very fearful as well. You, you, you can be fearful in what, in what others might say to you, others, what others might do to you. During the, the, the Nazi occupation in France, 1940 to about 1945, there was a small Huguenot Protestant village um, of Les Chambon, and they did something that was really difficult. They were, they were a small little hamlet of about 3,000 farmers and, and creative people. They risked their lives to save 5,000 Jewish children and help them to escape to nearby Switzerland. And when they were asked later why did they jeopardize their lives to save strangers, complete strangers, their response was simple. They couldn't stand by and watch the innocent die. They felt that it was their God-given duty to resist evil and do good. And so a lot of the times when we don't want to reach out to our neighbors or reach out to others, It's because maybe there's some type of fear 
or there's some type of insecurity. Now, I know I'm going to step on some people's feet with some of these next comments, but it's okay. Right? When you look at this story, and when you think of the world that we live in, we live in a, in a very, very divisive world. We live in a world that is so polar opposites, and the middle ground has just dissipated whatsoever. And that's unfortunate, and that's very sad. But here in this story of the Good Samaritan, you read about two groups of people that were ethnically different. And that was the Jewish people and the Samaritans, and they were enemies. They didn't get along. And we can look back into the history of Israel and of Samaria and see all of the different things that actually happened that made, these, made them enemies. And I don't have time to go into the history just to be able to say that the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along at all, even, and especially even during Jesus' days. And for the, for the Samaritan to go and help one of the Jewish people, this Jew that was going down from, from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, what might of his other Samaritan friends have thought? What might of his other Samaritan's friends have said? <gasps> you are going to help a Jewish person? Okay, all of a sudden now you believe everything the Jewish people believe because you help them? All of a sudden now you're going to align yourself with all the Jewish people? Okay, that means you're not going to be on our side anymore. You're not going to help us. This is, what, this is what has happened in our world. Do you know that? Right? I'll give you a very practical example. Okay? Masking and, and, and vaccines. Right? I know, I'm going to step on people's feet. It's okay. Right? One group says, I'm going to wear a mask. Oh, so then you believe this, 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 and this, and you lump everybody into the people that wear masks group. Right? And the other group says, I'm, uh, I'm not going to wear a mask. Oh, so then you believe this, this, and this, this, and this. And you lump everybody there, and you think they're all part of this. And then you go to the other side and say, I'm not going to take a vaccine. Oh, you're, you don't want to take a vaccine? So, okay, you, you believe this, this, and this, and this. And then the other side says, I'm going to take a vaccine. Oh, you're believing in vaccines? Or you, you, you believe in this, this, and this, and this. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Is this Greek to you? You know what I'm talking about. We've both lived in the same world for the last two years. But this is what has happened in our world, that we have become so polarized that you take one step on one side and say, I, I, I believe or I support this, then all of a sudden you support everything on this side, right? Or, you, or other people think you support everything on this side, and what you're only doing is you're trying to love somebody. Or you're on the other side as well, and, 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 you, and you make one stance for something, and then all of a sudden, okay, you're subscribed to everything else, and then you look at people not with what unites us, but what divides us, and it separates us more and more. If that Samaritan looked at that Jewish man and said, look at him, he's a Jewish person. He was against me worshiping at Mount Gerizim. He was against me at worshiping this place. He was against me at doing this and against me at doing that. I'm not going to touch him with a long pole. What has happened to human dignity and the value of human life? The problem with us loving our neighbors is that we seek to agree with everyone. And if we don't agree with that person, we can't even help them. Where did we, how did we get to this place? Friends, to help somebody doesn't mean you have to agree with them theologically, um, sexually, um, culturally, socially. You don't need to tick off all of the boxes to be kind to somebody. You don't need to tick off all of the boxes to be a neighbor to somebody. Just love them. That's what God calls us to do. And unfortunately, in this world that we live in, we have become so polarized. Some time ago, there was a, a movement, Black Lives Matter. 
And there was some controversy, oh, well, if you support this cause, then you support this, this, and this. Oh, but if you don't support this cause, then you don't support this, this, and this. And it divided people. But could you not just say that there's something there that I want to support? I might not agree with everything, or I might agree with everything, regardless of what all of those things are. Friends, family of God, God calls us to love. God calls us to be good neighbors. Acknowledge the humanity and the dignity of human life in each person. Acknowledge and understand, regardless of where people are at, that we have been created in the image of God. And the problem is, is that we don't see ourselves in them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the problem is we don't see ourselves in our neighbor. And instead, when we see our neighbor, we see everything that divides us instead of what unites us. How many can agree to that? Do, do we fail in that area? When we see other people and when we see what they're doing or what they're saying, the first thing that comes to, comes to our mind is, you disagree with me theologically. You disagree with me socially. You disagree with me because you're of a different religion. You disagree with me because you're of a different ethnicity. You disagree with me because you have a different sexual practice. You disagree with me because of this and because of that. And, and we divide ourselves. We look at that, and that's the first lens at which we look, and we can't get past that. And so to love that person becomes exceedingly and extremely difficult. Because all we see is that first lens that divides us. And not the dignity of human worth. There's so many preconceptions, prejudices, biases, fears that we have that stop us from loving others. We don't have to agree with everyone on everything to show them love. We don't have to agree with everyone on everything to be their neighbor. Did you know that? Otherwise, we just become so secluded. James says it this way, James 2, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? All right, well, if, you know, if you're of the same culture as me, hey, let's be buds. Hey, if you're a Christian as well. Oh, hold on, what's your denomination? Pentecostal? Oh, Ooh, Christian Mission Alliance. I'll step over here. If you agree with me, great. Let's be friends. If you disagree with me, you, stay over, you find somebody else to be a friend, friend to. We divide ourselves because we favor some over the others. We divide ourselves because we, we want to be more in a, in, a, in a place of comfort. And that's why my challenge to all of us is, let's step out of our comfort zones. Because Jesus did that. Jesus stepped out of his comfort zone to, to reach out to other people. He reached out to the disenfranchised. We see Jesus showed mercy to a woman commit, who committed adultery. That was crazy for that time where Jesus just let her off scot-free. They came, the religious people of the law, they came and said, this is what the law says, Jesus, what are you going to do? Instead of seeing what divided them, Jesus saw the value and worth of that young woman and expressed and showed her love and forgiveness. Jesus spoke to a Samaritan. Remember, the Samaritans, we don't like those guys, right? Spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. 
The disciples were all gone. They were doing some errands and everything. Jesus was at the well. He was thirsty. He went and asked the woman, hey, can you give me something to drink? And the woman herself was like, hold on. I'm a Samaritan. You're, a Jew. You're asking me for a drink of water? I, you know, it's like COVID. Don't touch that. But what did Jesus do? He reached out to that person. There was a man who was a leper. And he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And all the other disciples are like, stay clear, leper, leper, everyone, hold up, stay back. And what does Jesus do? It's probably one of my, my favorite portions in the Jesus film uh, that's done by Sights and Sounds. If you've, if you've ever seen the Sights and Sounds presentation of Jesus, an amazing depiction of Jesus' story. And there's this one part in the, in the movie where Jesus sees the leper. The leper is there. And all the disciples are like, get back, get back. Everyone stay back. Leper, leper. And Jesus walks up to the person. And you know what he does? He embraces him. And says, be clean. When nobody else wanted to touch him, Jesus did. He healed an outcast that, that was demon-possessed. Nobody wanted to get close to this man. He was out in the, in the desert and, and manifesting so many demons. Jesus came to that person and touched him and healed him. Jesus ate with the publicans and the sinners, the, the tax collectors and all the religious people of the day. Thought, what is Jesus doing? Maybe if Daniel did that. You know, watch out, Johnny Winston, you'll get a few telephone calls to the board of, do you know what Daniel's doing? He's eating with the sinners. It, 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 was, it was probably a shock to them, the kind of things that Jesus was doing. James says in, in, in verse 8, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. Do we favor those who look like us, do we favor those of the same ethnic makeup, of the same job status, of the same religious beliefs, of the same societal upbringing, of the same sexual background? Do we favor those people over others? Or do we show them love? Now, the word of God is clear on, on so many different things. I'm not saying that we, we, we change what the word of God says. But what I am saying is that we show love. And that's hugely, hugely important. It doesn't matter if the person looks like you. It doesn't matter if they're from the same cultural background, societal background. It doesn't matter if they have the same job status as you or doesn't even have a job. God calls us to be a neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the second great commandment. And unfortunately, because we look at so many things that divide us and so many things that differentiate us from other people, we're not able to actually love like Jesus loved. We, we see the differences in ethnicity and culture and religion and sexuality and theology. We see all of these differences instead of actually seeing the dignity of the, the image of God created in, in our brothers and sisters. It's interesting, at the end of the story, when Jesus asked the person, the teacher of the law, he asked them, so who of these people were actually a neighbor to this guy? Do you know what he says? Does he say the Samaritan? No, he can't even get, he can't even get to the place where he's able to say the, the, the Samaritan. 
Instead, he says, the guy that showed mercy. You know that guy? Who? That guy that showed mercy. You mean the Samaritan? Yeah, that guy that showed mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan. That's, that was the, 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 the harshness and, the, and, and the, the, the difference that was there. And I think Jesus very strategically and very importantly used a Samaritan instead of another Jewish person. Lastly, oh, sorry, before that, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is amazing. When Today's the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, talking about the day of Pentecost. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Right? Were you following along? Did I miss something? Samaria. You know, the Jews listening to this are going to be like, yes, we will be your witnesses, Jesus. Yes, we will be your witnesses to throughout Judea, in Jerusalem, to the ends of the world. Oh, hold on, you said Samaria too? Uh, maybe I don't want the Holy Spirit, really. Because that means i got to go to Samaria. Are we like that? Maybe I don't want the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to baptize us in one. Maybe I don't want the Holy Spirit because if I'm going to be baptized together into one body, I have to put away my differences. I have to put away what alienates me from other people. Well, this is the job of the Holy Spirit. He unites us and makes us together as one. Lastly, being neighborly is a response of compassion. The, the Samaritan saw the state of that person and was moved with compassion. It's interesting, the, the Greek word here from compassion talks about like feeling moved from your, your, your inwards, from your bowels, that you're like, it's, it's a gut feeling that you're like, oh. Have you ever had that feeling before? I have it all the time nowadays when Joel starts to cry. He cries and my inwards are like, oh, no, please stop. Like, and my heart breaks for him because I don't want to see him crying. And I think to myself, how does the Heavenly Father move with compassion? In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our difficulty, how the Heavenly Father moves with compassion because Jesus moved with compassion. Here's the secret, though. There is no way that we can do this. Remember, we're going back to the first two commandments. We were looking at the second commandment last in the previous point. Now I'm going to go back to the first commandment. There is no way that we can be moved to compassion the way that Jesus wants us to move with compassion and pass those uh, barriers and pass those boundaries unless we're keeping the first commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. If we can love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, then he will help us to be able to be moved with compassion. We love others. Well, let, let me back up. We love him because he first loved us. We love others because he first loved us. Unless we get to that place of fulfilling and keeping the first commandment, we can't even get to this place of feeling compassion for other people. There were so many times when Jesus was moved with compassion. He, when he saw the multitudes there and he said, they look like sheep without a shepherd. The Bible says his heart was moved with compassion and he told them, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest field. When, when he saw so many people that were in need of healing, the Bible says his heart was moved with compassion and he touched them and he healed them. There was a time that, you know, they were, they, uh, Jesus was preaching for three days, right? And then his heart was moved with compassion because they were there for three, they didn't even eat anything. I know you guys are already thinking, lunch already, Daniel, when are you going to finish? 
right? We haven't even been here for, for even one day, right? They were there for three days. They didn't eat anything. And the Bible says Jesus' heart was moved with compassion. And he told his disciples, you go and feed them. So many times when, he, when Jesus saw a blind man, the Bible says the same word of compassion that's used here. He was moved with compassion and he touched the man's eyes and he healed him. When, when there was a man that, was, that had leprosy, the same thing. Jesus had compassion and he touched him and he healed him. There was a young man who was dead, and they were having a big funeral procession. And Jesus, seeing the big funeral procession, he saw the mother, and he saw the mother weeping and crying and heartbroken and distressed and distraught. And Jesus, seeing that, what happened? His heart was moved with compassion. He touched the coffin, and the man came back to life. In the story of the prodigal son, when the son was far away, And finally decided and came to his senses, why am I over here eating the slop of pigs? Let me go back to my father's house because his servants have so much food. And so the son decides, I'm going to go back. And the father was standing with open arms full of compassion and desiring and waiting and wanting the son to come back. That is the compassion of God. Being neighborly is a response of compassion. Colossians 3 says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. Clothe yourself with compassion. The, the word mercy at the end of this parable, when Jesus asked the man who was his neighbor, and the man said, the guy who showed mercy, that word mercy, the Greek meaning of that word mercy is compassion displayed through action. It's not just a a good intent or a good feeling in the heart. It's an actionable compassion. It's a practical, tangible compassion. I I, want to take you back to a story in 2 Chronicles because I find this story so amazing because I think Jesus was trying to invoke a response from the Jewish people, particularly the teachers of the law that actually knew the Old Testament writings. Jesus, I think, was trying to invoke a parallel, parallel to something that happened in the Old Testament. So hundreds of years before, the children of Judah, they were disobedient to, the, uh, to God. So were the children of Israel. They were all sinning left, right, and center. Anyways, big war. Everything happened. Uh, children of Israel, the, the, the Samaritans, they came down, conquered Judah, captured so many of the people, but they just went overboard. They were just ruthless. They were just terrible. And so they came back, and when they came back, the Spirit of the Lord was there through a prophet and actually convicted them of what had happened. And so when the Spirit of God came and convicted them, they said, okay, you know, we're sinners, but we've really gone overboard. So they tried to make some restitution to the people of Judah. And this is what it says. You can read the whole story in 2 Chronicles 28 when you go home, but I'm just going to read one verse because I find this so amazing. 2 Chronicles 28, verse 15. Then the four men just mentioned by name came forward. You can read the story again ahead of time uh, later on. And distributed clothes from the plunder to the prisoners who were naked. So there were people, children of Judah, they were naked. They didn't know, you know, like they were really ruthless to them. They gave them clothes. They provided clothing and sandals to wear, gave them enough food and drink, and dressed their wounds with olive oil. Do you guys see any parallels here? Right? Hold on, it's not done yet. It's a long verse. I had to put on two slides. Okay? They put those who were weak on donkeys? Really? And took all the prisoners back to their own people in where? 
Remember the guy was coming from where? Jerusalem to Jericho, the city of Palms, and then they returned back to Samaria. This literally happened. I think Jesus, in telling the story of the Good Samaritan, was trying to invoke in the heart of the teachers of the law, guys, have more mercy. You did it before. When the Spirit of God came and convicted you, you saw what happened. Have compassion. Have mercy. In the book of Acts, it's so amazing because as the Spirit of God came down on the day of Pentecost, as the Spirit of God started to change people and move people and transform people, the Spirit of God came upon a man named Philip. And Philip was filled by the Spirit and inspired to go where? Can you take a guess? Samaria. What if the Lord told you to do that? Right? If the Spirit of God filled you and inspired you and told you to go to a place, Nigel, Paul was with us last week talking about moving, moving into the urban poor, moving into, in, into a place where there's a high immigrant population, be the, the image and reflection of Jesus in those places. What if the Spirit of God filled you and empowered you and told you, go move into a place, go live in a place, go to a place where the culture is not your own, the language is not your own, the people are not your own, it's a very uncomfortable place for you, the theology is not your own, the religion is not your own, all of those things are different for you, go to that place and be Jesus to them. Well, Philip had to probably overcome some of his own prejudices. Philip had to overcome some of his own biases. Philip had to overcome some of his own preconceptions. Jewish people, Samaritans. Jewish people, Samaritans. Hold on, Lord. It's always been Jewish people, Samaritans. Now you're telling me Jewish people go to the Samaritans? I can't do that unless the Spirit of God empowers me. And so what does it say here in Acts 9? The church then had peace throughout Judea. Galilee and where? What? Samaria? Seriously. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. The church was growing in Samaria. Because people like Philip and others were able to overcome their biases, their prejudices, and be neighborly to their neighbors up north. They were able to overcome their differences, their differences in theology, their differences in culture, their differences in whatever separated them, so that they could share the love of Jesus. Do for one person what you would like to do for everyone. Who is that one person this week for you? I'll ask the worship team to come, and I'll just tell a, a story about uh, Nancy Wilson, who's in charge of our master's pantry, and I asked Nancy if I could share the story with her. She had sent me an email uh, a few couple months ago, and uh, Nancy is such an inspirational person, loves, loves the people that come to master's pantry, goes the extra mile time and time and time again, and one day, a couple of months ago, she went to deliver some food to one of the, the pantry clients, and this pantry client was having a, a rough and a terrible day. And so when Nancy got there, this lady was screaming at her, shouting at her, and saying, take me off your list, you know, I'm done with all of you, I don't even have milk or tea, I don't even have bread, I'm down to my last $10, right? And Nancy tried to speak with her a little bit, but it was, it, she was in such a terrible and a bad mood. And so Nancy just left. But as Nancy was driving home, 
the Holy Spirit spoke to her and told her, shower her with love. And so the next day, Nancy went out and she went and bought milk and, and bread and other groceries and she bought some other treats that she knew that, that, that she would like and uh, she just went over and above and then she went to that person's house and dropped it off at, at, at her house and then texted her and said, go down and uh, I left there something from you, for you. It's from, it's from, from the Lord and uh, just to show you that we love you. Her spirit and attitude was completely different. She responded with such shock and amazement and gratitude and love to be able to say thank you so much. When people do evil towards us, the Bible says respond with love. When people hurt us, when people are doing difficult things to us, respond with love. There was a man that had a, had a, a, a vision of dying and he went to hell and then he went to heaven. And when he, when he went to hell, you, you might have heard this story before, when he went to hell, he saw this big table in front of him and he had all of these people that were seated around and the only thing that was unique about it was that they all had six foot spoons. So they couldn't eat themselves. But they were taking all the spoons and they were doing their best to grab some food and try to put it in their mouth and everyone was just trying to feed themselves. And then he left that vision of hell and he went to heaven. And in heaven he saw a big table as well and, he, and the same six foot spoons. But do you know what the difference was in heaven? Is that people would take the spoon and since they couldn't reach their own mouth, they fed somebody else. And they, somebody else took another spoon and fed somebody else. It was the difference between selfishness in hell and selflessness in heaven. We've come to the table of the Lord today. We're going to partake of the table of the Lord, but we're going to sing. And God invites us to his table. God invites us to come into his presence. Can I ask you all to stand? And as we sing to the Lord, God invites us into his table. God invites us to experience the love, forgiveness, and kindness that comes from being at the table of the Lord.